Hey, are you aware of the Pamela Anderson Vore video? Welcome to the 2000s. I hate this town. I hate this fucking town. I don't even want to be in this town. She's got dreams too big for this town. Hello and welcome to Garagarot of this town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am Thorwith Elaine and with me there are two other days of the week. Hello, I'm Sunday Arnett. And I'm Wednesday of the Adams variety, I guess, because that's the pun I can make here. Sure. Uh, I don't have a day associated with me. I am the secret eight days of the week. I think that was in Discworld. I think that was in, that was in Persona. Was it an extra day? I thought it was an extra hour. Yes, I know. It's so funny. Once a month you can have an extra day out of extra hours. More than once a month. It's like well, once every 24 days, technically. Is Persona, like, good? Uh, some of them. That that is a good question, and I will not answer. <laughs> some Fair of them, enough. and the older, the better. So, what I can tell you about, um, if we're talking about the new ones, because I'm not assuming you want to play Persona Two, which is hey, pretty good. It's the best. Noted. I think it's a bit overrated, but it's good. Um, if you want to, if you're referring to the new one, what I can tell you is they're very stylish. Y- yeah. No. And also sort of problematic for many reasons. <laughs> I'm probably not going to play anything that was made within, like, the last five years. They're also very long. I mean, Persona 3 was made, like, ten years ago. More than ten years uh, ago, probably. Definitely more than ten years ago. See, then that's fine. Yeah, you can, we, can, we can play that. We can have a, a stream on our, on our Twitch stream. Do we have a Twitch channel, Seba? Uh, we can. I can absolutely set one up. No, but why? We do not need one. We are not doing that. <laughs> we could stream Bon Jovi. Uh, we're talking about Thursday today. Where we we talked about Thursday once. It was full collapse. Was really fucking good. Was an excellent record. We're talking about Thursday again, with war all the time, all 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 the times. You know what's not so good, though? Martin Shkreli? Well, sure, if you're going to jump right ahead into the obligatory <laughs> and ruin my build-up. Yeah, I, I spoiled. I spoiled the surprise. Talk to us about the new obligatory that I just found by Googling. Uh, so Thursday, Thursday uh, are cancelled. We're officially cancelling Thursday, thanks to the help of Wikipedia. Thursday's label is cancelled. Well, the the Thursday's label who's owned by Thursday Singer. Yes. Yes. The label owned by Thursday, not the label which publishes Thursday. No, different things. During the events of 2015, where the world learned about some little shit named Martin Shkreli, and how much he was pumping up the price of AIDS-related pharmaceuticals, it was revealed that he was a silent investor in Collect Record, while still allowing Rickley to retain creative control over the label. 
They met when the guitar that Rickley used to make Full Collapse was purchased by Screlly for $10,000. Rickley said he was shocked by the whole thing, stating, I've seen the guy give money to schools, charities, and frankly, our bands, who if anyone knows the industry, is a hard sell. I am struggling to find how this is okay. Because of this whole thing, uh, multiple artists signed to the label decided that they were going to immediately try and break contracts or get the hell out of this, including Sick Feeling, Nothing, and others. So, within two days, Rickley put out a release expressing the label had severed ties with Shkreli, and the amount that he, Rickley, currently had in the bank could not cover Collect Records' outstanding invoices, so, it turns out with that million-dollar gap and everything, Collect Records put their last record out that year and died conclusively the next in 2016. Point, point, shame, shame, shame. <laughs> Venture Capital, not even shame. once. Shame, I, is that from Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay. But you I... pronounced it Australianly for some reason. I don't even think I have an Italian accent. Like, I don't sound like fucking Mario. I just have, like, a weird accent. So what you're saying is you have a Chris Pratt normal person accent. <laughs> oh. What? Wow, you... Wow. Yep. I think that counts as a hate crime to say that. Are you not aware of the statement that uh, Mario will, quote, sound normal now that Chris Pratt is playing him? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I forgot about that, and now I remember. Hitting my head against the wall. Thanks for being our podcast nostalgia critic. You remember <laughs> it so we don't have to. Oh, dear. Today we're going to talk about my favorite record, Roger Waters' The Full Cut. <laughs> I mean, Full Collapse. I mean, the sequel to Full Collapse by Thursday. War all the time. Uh, yeah. The last time we left Thursday after the they had released... The don't do the whole thing in a nostalgia critic body. <laughs> after the things you say, you Last time we talked about Thursday with Full Collapse, they were about to create a guitar that would destroy and, in fact, full collapse a whole record label. I don't think they created the guitar. <laughs> I think they bought it somewhere. I don't think they're guitar smiths. You don't know that. Maybe, maybe one of their producers just straight up forged them a guitar in the fires of Victory Records. Maybe they used their psychic pop punk powers. Look, the music industry is not Star Wars. You don't have to build your own lightsaber with a crystal from wherever the, you go in Knights of the Old Republic, too. No, sometimes you use a uh, photoshopped Peter Dinklage and have him forge a guitar for you, made out of stars. Is that a Marvel joke? Yes. Okay. It turns out that their label, Victory Records, was starting to get under everyone's skin because they were doing things like selling Thursday-branded whoopee cushions without telling anyone in the band. Their tour for Full Collapse led to openly trashing the label with quotes from interviews like, Well, the problem started with what we thought were minor issues. For Full Collapse, we had intended to make a nice booklet for artwork, but Tony, the owner of Victory Records, 
would not allow that. He told us it would be cheaper to do a one-page insert and that the lyrics to our songs were unimportant and should be left out of the packaging. We obviously disagreed and worked out a compromise that would ultimately produce the final packaging for Full Collapse. In another instance, while we were visiting the Victory offices, we discovered for promotional purposes they had made Thursday whoopee cushions they intended to have passed out at the Warp Tour. We were kind of shocked by this and were also puzzled why we weren't consulted beforehand. Jeff sat down with Tony and expressed the band's position on the matter and asked if Tony if Victory would get our approval before doing things like that. Tony's response to Jeff was that Victory was a big company and that they didn't have time to run everything by the band. On several occasions, we expressed to Victory that we needed to communicate more to make sure that we were on the same page regarding promotion and art direction. Unfortunately, it really never got any better. Tony began to promote our song Understanding in a Car Crash for a second time without ever informing us of any plans to do so, and we still have no idea what their future plans are concerning radio promotion. Editorial note, none of the members of the band Thursday are British. I already used my American guy voice to do the Nostalgia Critic a minute ago. I had to separate it. It's true. They can't all have the same accents. That's illegal. So, as the band started to grow in popularity, the label became more communicative with some of them, which made the members of Thursday even more dissatisfied because now it is obviously entirely based on numbers that they are getting the attention and praise of their bosses. In a deliciously petty move, this led to them putting out the Five Stories Falling EP, a collection release the band used to fulfill contractual obligations with Victory. At live shows, the band routinely told fans not to purchase the EP, but instead to download Jet Black New Year, the only new studio recording found on it. This is what you can do when you have things like, uh, I believe it would have been the iTunes Store at the time, opening up digital distribution. Is 2003 already iTunes Store times? Launch date, April 28th, 2003. Okay, so it would just be, because this rec no, okay, so it wouldn't be during this tour, because this tour is uh, 2001, 2002. Well, I'll be damned. So the iTunes store literally launched uh, a couple of months before this third record was released. We're almost, we're almost in iTunes times, almost in iTunes times, almost in iTunes times. The band at this point is being contacted by multiple major labels, which, while they wanted to stay on an indie label, thinking that they were probably a little too esoteric for the big leagues, their contract with Victory quite literally barred them to go to another indie label and only allowed them to get out of their contract if they went to one of the majors. So, they signed with Island Records. As a result of the deal, Victory Records received $1.2 million, which, quote, meant the band would be paying off that bill as long as we were on the new label. I didn't know if you wanted to read your joke here. Oh no, I just wrote something something Biden please cancel the Thursday loan, which is a dumb joke, but you know. Hey, if you deliver something dumb punchy enough, no one ever has to think about it. Or, or if I do it self-deprecatingly enough, then it uh, sort of reverses the bit. It's like I'm delivering it knowing that it's a bad bit. Does any of you had your student loan cancelled? I hear that's the thing that's happening in America. I didn't, because I'd already paid it off via uh, accidentally faking my own death. <laughs> God. I don't think you should say that on air, but okay. Look, we are so past the statute of limitations. Is there even a statute of limitation for faking your own death? 
when all of the agencies think that you're dead and kill your credit and you have to start over again in your late 30s? Uh, yes. Yes, that's my punishment. You know, I guess it all balances out somehow. Did you had your student... Well, you're still in middle school, Adam, so you probably don't... Are we ever going to talk about the album? <laughs> War All the Time, their first record under Island, will once again be produced by Sal Villanueva, who previously worked on Full Collapse, as well as Taking Back Sunday's Tell All Your Friends. The record is a success in line with Full Collapse, outselling the previous record, and with the two singles For the Workplace Drowning and Signals Over the Air, extensive play is given on alternative stations. There are also music videos for three tracks on this record, but only one of them is really worth mentioning. The others are just singing in a weird locale. Is it in the rain? Uh, one is in the rain, one is just at night. Shall we talk about this record, since Adam seems very <laughs> angsty to get there? Listen. <laughs> what? Hey. We, we, we always do banter before we get to the record. We always do jokes. That's why people listen to us, because of the jokes of those hot Biden takes that we have. Ooh, hot Biden talk. Let me tell you about what he does when he stretches his arm up just a little. You can see the peck through his suit. I'm taking my headphones off. Oh, no. Simo, no being hardy. No being hardy, Simo. <laughs> Not allowed. I I will ban hardiness today. Let's talk about the tilt for... Let's talk about song. Full no, not full collapse. War all the time. The <laughs> That's track the one. number Y'all one. Y'all just can't remember the album this time. I can. I have very nice notes. I do remember the album. I just remember the name of the album. <laughs> My specific kind of brain rot there. War mm. <laughs> of the times. Track one. For the workforce, drowning. This is another album where we're going to have genius lyrics everywhere. Excellent. I have it up. If the, if that's a very genius annotation kind of record. Oh yeah, click the very first line of this record and get ready to scream. It's totally not uncommon for an office worker to jump off the building. It was sort of parodied in an... in an... <laughs> the Office episode. I don't know if that's correct. None of that's correct. Hitting my head against the wall again. Okay. Okay, then. That is a great way to start, um, genius. Uh, but no, mm -hmm. for the world first drowning, it's a song about how it sucks to have a 9-to-5 job. Sable, talk to us about your 9-to-5 job. Um, I definitely think it is worth discussing the fact that in the 2000s, and especially pre-economic collapse around 2008, there was a definite 
turn in pop culture that was being made to the worst possible thing you could do for work was have a boring office job, man. And how it was... It's very interesting to see anyone who these days would be like, you know it would be great? If I had a job where I could sit the fuck down and there's air conditioning. That would be wonderful. That does sound good. As someone who has worked things like call centers, I would fucking kill for like a cozy data entry job or some shit like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of uncanny to read this lyric right now because they are very pro-worker, which is good. But they also come from that sort of Gen Xer era where it's like the preoccupations of um, of the content are very different from what we have now. There is um, even I would say even less like even less of a class consciousness of what we have now because it's not about exploitation of the worker. You know, it's about you know job. It's it's just soul sucking. It's just boring to have a. Yeah, it, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing, which is not. A bad take? It's just like, it has gotten so much worse, Mr. Thursday. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how worse it has gotten. <laughs> so, um, there's definitely a part on this record where I did think that, boy, the halcyon days of 2003, where we were in a forever war, really seems so much brighter than the current circumstances. Ugh, I mean... Yeah. Um... I mean, this is this is a, one of the weaker songs on the record, I feel. It's confusing to me that it was a single, because it doesn't really have any big hook or anything that really grips you. I don't think it's bad. It just feels like sort of like um, a deleted track, you know, like a, a B-side from Full Collapse. In that I don't think... The, I think the first couple of tracks are a bit rough, and then the album really starts going. Uh, but this specifically, it feels a bit weak, it's sort of aimless, like it sort of doesn't have a hook or anything, but it doesn't have the structural experimentation of Full Collapse. It just feels sort of aimless. Uh, the lyrics are good. All of the lyrics on this record are good. I have, you know, we expressed our, you know, confu- not confusion, we expressed our thoughts on it by coming from it from the future. Ooh, the future. Um, but aside from that, dude knows how to write lyrics, great imagery, uh, some wonky lyrics, but mostly because at some point he repeats copies of copies of just making copies of copies of copies, which to me just sounds like he's referencing SNL, which like, okay. Um, uh, Fight Club, possibly. I mean, Genius mentions Fight Club. I think he's referencing SNL, though, because he's talking about an office job. <laughs> which Fight Club also was at places. Wait, it was a very... Fuck your office job, it's making you soft, it's making you weak, it's coming from a very different angle, but it did have the same thing, it just thought of it as, how dare you water your manly soul down, rather than, how dare you give up your humanity in service of this soul-sucking oblivion. I love this. I think this is a great opening track, it instantly brings us back to the strength of this band, which is great vocals well-crafted lyrics that, even though there's not really a chorus or a repeated verse, anything to really draw you into a repetition on this track, it's just a narrative song. It kind of goes spoken word in places, but 
it's so evocative that the flow never really drops. And I think that helps that it is also one of the shorter tracks on the album, just over three minutes. But when we're getting to the point of it'll never end till it gets so bad that the ink fills in our fingerprints and the silhouette of your own face becomes the black cloud of war. And even in our dreams, we're so afraid the the weight will offset who we are. All of this just, yes, that is absolutely a, you want to talk about your nine to five day job that is straight up driving you mad and making you want to die. That is the kind of thing that is, very real if you have been in the worst kind of corporate environment. So yes, I love this track. I really liked this one. I liked the second half better than the first half, but I liked all of it in general. Um, I love the guitar on this album, starting here. It's good. Next up is the song with the better title of the, the record. I think that's a really fun title. Between the Rapture and Rapture. Can an American pronounce it better than me so people get the pun? Between Rupture and Rapture. Thank you, Adam. This is the song that had me going, oh, I'm actually going to like this album. A rup, rup, a rup to the rap of the rup, rup, rapture, rap, rap, rap. You're not allowed to rap, Sable, you're white. <laughs> this God. is a slower track, and we just drum it in. <laughs> this reads real different after the last people who went to the Capitol. That's right, they keep saying that. Oh, goodness. Uh, I really like the the opening riff here and the sort of grungy guitar at the beginning, which is very, very 90s, very Alice in Chain. Um, the rest of the song is alright. I like the title. I like the um, the riff at the beginning. The lyrics here feel less focused. Like a lot of Thursday songs are actually very concrete in their themes, which I think doesn't happen as much here. And this is the first song where it's sort of about stuff you don't they're not really talking about a specific thing which is not bad they still have great imagery and great shit going on in the lyrics it's just like less i mean according to genius they explained in a youtube video at some point that it is inspired by the suicide of a friend who is schizophrenic no, that's fair. It's just like you wouldn't get it, right? If you didn't read that on YouTube. And, um, I mean, I could get it, but... Fair, fair enough. I just thought... It wasn't even a criticism. I just thought this was a little bit more abstract than a lot of their other songs, but fair enough. I don't know. The guitar is great on this one. The The guitar is stepped up. There's a lot of, like, great guitar shit on this. Like, the guitar goes from, like, that sort of grungy low-key thing and then it gets heavier and there's some great rhythmic things that it does and it, it, it rules it's really good guitars 
Um, I like it better than Ryu's song, musically especially. I think this is uh, has more hooks, more like interesting bit, especially with the guitar. And at the end, that's like a bit where everything stops and the dude goes like, oh, there are words that escape from my heart. And while everything is stopped and then everything goes super heavy and then the song ends, like the ending of the song is fucking perfect. It's still not as good as Full Collapse, mostly because it's, 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 I feel it's less striking, but it, this is an improvement for this previous song for me. And I really like this song. It's good. I think a lot of the metaphor used in it takes on a very different tone as a result of the modern day, but there's a lot on this record which is, because of the strength of the lyrics and the imagery it conjures up, very evocative, very political, in a variety of different ways. This one has just kind of accidentally reversed polarities like a Doctor Who episode, because the bridge, we're coming to the capital, we are coming to the capital, chanted over and over, again feels very distinct. Do you think they played this on the 6th of January? you think was, that was their anthem where they advanced? No, that would have definitely been Toby Keith's Red, White, and Y'all. <laughs> How can you stand living in America? It's terrible, Darcy. <laughs> Why are you living in America? Why is anyone living in America? Because I'm going to be the one who makes it. <laughs> sure. That's it. That's the reasoning for all of us. Fair enough. Fair enough. Even when we feel this close, it's just a lie we believe. I love that the next track, they, they talk about how it's inspired by Sigur Rós, and it sounds nothing like Sigur Rós. I don't know what that is, so... Oh, you should listen to Sigur Ross. They're good. Listen to the one album whose title is just two parentheses. Track three is Division Street. <laughs> Which sounds like something from Sesame Street. Now did you It sounds it like, like a Cure B-side. Oh, that too. This is the one with the cool intro, and it goes... This is a proper proper impression of the intro. Uh, the intro and the breakdown sound very much like California Uber Alice by the Dead Kennedys. This is the, I think this is the one track with lyrics that make me laugh. They're sort of wonky. Like, oof. There's a bunch of la-la-las, and also at some point he repeats, this is serious, this is serious, this is serious, this is serious, which I think are oh both my God. sort of like weird choices okay. lyrically. So the problem with this one is that they repeat the this is serious over and over again, and I have been watching a lot of Wonder Pets with the kid lately, 
So every time they said that, my brain would respond to it with, This is serious. And it's really hard to take a song seriously. <laughs> I don't know what Wonderpath is, but that's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a little kid's show. The important thing is that there's a duckling, and anytime something important is happening, the little duckling goes, This is serious. <laughs> Imagine if the Paw Patrol didn't instantly make you go, Class traitors! That would be the Wonder Pets. Why do you expect me to know any... Like, what's the Paw Patrol? Oh, you don't know about the dogs who are all cops no. and firemen? Firemen are okay. Hold on. I'm going to ruin Ellie's day. I do love a good ruining of people's days, as long as it's not mine. Like when I was a kid, I when I was a kid, we had Bob the Builder and shit, an anime. I watched a lot of anime when I was a little children. Me too. What if the village people were straight and dogs? That's the Paw Patrol. Well, <laughs> you know what? Sure. Oh dear. I don't have the energy nor the the age to be. At the, shocked or enraged by a children's cartoon, to be honest? It's like, sure, whatever. What kind of leftist are you if you can't get angry about a children's cartoon? That's half of the job. I'm the worst leftist possible. I don't even care about Batman. I don't even have opinions about Batman. Ellie, Ellie, that's like being trans and not caring about Pokemon. We've got to fix this. Well, maybe I'm just a centrist. Maybe I'm just like... Oh, no. Let's go. You well, heard it here first. Ellie, full lib. Gotta kick her off the podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm a K-Hive now. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> let's go back to talking about Miss Kamala. <laughs> let's not. Let's not. Let's not. Um, let's talk about this song, which is uh, pretty good. It has some good musical stuff going on. This is what I realized. That this is, for how good this is, it feels less experimental than the previous record. Like, this feels more alternative rock, this feels more emo, this feels more postercore. They're, they're not doing, they're less heavy than in the previous record, and there's less weird structure going on, which is not a bad thing. Like, this song is good, it just feels more of an emo song than a lot of the other stuff that they've done. Um, weird lyrics on some part, again, that this is serious was sort of wonky. Um, that's fine. It's a solid emo song with some good musical ideas, like they're in. Could have done with less la la las and less repeating of this is serious, but what you gonna do? I think I'm the only one who actually gets into this and goes, oh yeah, this this totally works as a tale of desperation and tragedy where you're barely hanging on. There's a spoken word bit at the end, and yet I'm not offended by it. It comes out very well because it turns out that We've got a vocalist who knows how to use their voice like an instrument. And so it comes out in a fashion which is very distinct. It keeps the flow going even while the music is in a breakdown period. Everything moves on and then we're carried into the final verse. I like it. I, I like, I couldn't take this song seriously or... Seriously, I guess. No, that's, that's valid. Um, <laughs> that's extremely valid. <laughs> I'm sure it was very good, though. Okay, let's go to Signal over to Tiana.
this song. The song is really good, but since I'm in my femcel era, I think I'm not allowed to talk about it because it's about the sex. Sybil, talk to us about the sex. Talk to us about the birds and the bees. Really? You're not even going to comment on the fact that you could definitely make a dysmorphia reference to some of it? I mean, I could I, could, I, I, I was going to actually talk about it later, but uh, I was doing a bit. Gotcha. I was, I was doing a funny bit here, and as always, as literally every episode, my co-host <laughs> sandbag my bit. Listen, that's the bit. You've already banned sex once on this episode, when you tell me my femcel era- No, 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 I banned horniness. <laughs> but, but, what's the point? You have to have sex for reproduction purposes. <laughs> I'm sorry, none of us are straight enough to have passionless British sex. Someone needs to end up impregnated at the end of this episode. <laughs> Doesn't matter who. <laughs> I call not it. Let me just get on working my bussy right now. Guess what? You're going to have to hear that again when you edit this. <laughs> That's a threat to future you. Trance is not a bussy anymore, Pebble. It's just an asshole. <laughs> That's me, just an asshole. <laughs> no, this is fascinating because this is a song that is about so many things. The interviews about it are fascinating, but in brief, we are talking about a track that is very invested in and afraid of bodies, sex, passion, and just all the conflicted feelings that can come with it. And then it gets wrapped up into the process of what it means to be a creative person, where when you say my name, I want it to stop your lungs and collect all of your blood to put in the radio. Those, those are some fucking great lyrics. God, the lyrics on this song are amazing, and the tune is great. The one that I love... Yeah? is they stole the love from our lives to put the sex on the radio. That's the repeated line that gets me. That's the best radio sax kind of lyric that we had on this podcast. And we had a lot of radio sax lyrics. It's also sort of a radio sex lyric. It's definitely a radio sex lyric. That's such a good song. Gods. <laughs> Second favorite song of the record. This is... None of us are disagreeing. There's a reason why this is one of the singles, like, this works a lot better as a single than the other one, because this is, like, more of a radio-friendly song, but it also has, like, it has this very, like, very, like, segmented rhythm. It goes, it goes forward very slowly, but with purpose, and it has that great chorus when it just repeats, when you say my name, and so on and so on. And it has some amazing lyrics. Um, it's great. It's great. Like... Weirdly enough, one of my favorite songs on this, it's uh, one of the more radio-friendly. It's not noisy, it's just like a drum really dramatic alternative rock song. I wouldn't even call it emo. It has some really great, like, sinister vibes with the guitar on the verse. And you you talked about a lot about Geoffrey Cliff's voice and how he's a you know, good singer. I have a different take. I think Geoff... This makes me realize... Rickley is sort of a shit singer. Like, he doesn't have a great voice, and his voice is actually, like, sort of boring. But as you said, he really knows how to use... Like, he has a lot of technique, and he has a lot of, like, personality in his voice, and has a lot of, like, shouting. Like, it's like, he realized, I don't have a great voice, but if I shout and put my fucking emotion into this, it sounds good. 
I don't, I don't think he's like a particularly remarkable singer. I don't really like his voice in a void, but he really, like, he can use it in a really cool way in songs. And uh, this is one of the examples where he just, like, shouts, like, very, very emotionally. And it works, even though his voice isn't, like, in a void grade. Like, if he was singing this normally, it wouldn't work. But when he does the fucking emotional shout, it's sort of cool. And it works. I'll I'll be very quick about this because I know I had some of this discussion on our full collapse episode, but I think it's the perfect voice for the lyrics that he's performing because he's not staying at a full shout. We don't have a lot of tracks that are all rage. It's used like punctuation. It's hitting the high notes. It's hitting the snare drum. It is using all parts of his range and knowing when he needs to bring to bear something with more force, something with slow intensity, something to just keep the pace so that you don't drop everything in the middle of a song that is very dense lyrically. You're not here to hear him sing, based on the way you're putting this, but you are here to hear him. It would be very hard to imagine another person you could slot in that would fit with the lyrics of Thursday and get these out the same way. Maybe. I just think like it's like the general sound of his voice is sort of generic. It doesn't have a very it works because it's just you know it's not a good singer, but he's a good singer. That's my, my take on it. I think genuinely if I had come across this song as a teenager it would have been one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. It is really good. And exactly the kind of thing that I would have been very into as a teenager, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I like the drums. I like the guitar. I like the vocals. I like the lyrics. I really liked noisy music. I know this track is less noisy than some of the other tracks, but I really liked that when I was a teenager, so I'm like actively sad that I did not find this one sooner. So, for what it's worth, it should be pointed out that I don't know where these were originally released, but somebody has archived them on YouTube. There were little interviews with Rickley about a lot of the songs on this album. And the discussion about signals over the air goes a few interesting places. He says that sexuality was something that you would discuss in punk songs, but by the 2000s, it was considered more taboo. It wasn't fitting for the way a lot of people saw it. And he was discussing, not for himself, but just as a cultural phenomenon, gender issues and trying to figure out sexuality and he cites have we ever discussed the man show on this show we have the last time that we talked about uh thursday i believe but feel free to to go for it give me a refresher Okay, so The Man Show was a very 2000s bit that appeared on Comedy Central with a not-quite-big-yet Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel hosting a series of very bawdy comedy bits while they also stayed in a pub hall set 
that had a bunch of women running around. The show closed every time with a segment that was just girls jumping on trampolines. Literally, that's just footage that they would play under the credits. And when this is what is being put out as a dominant masculine force, remember, this launched both of those men to pretty amazing careers, even if Corolla's is kind of in the toilet at this point. May, may, I, may I reveal a secret? Sure. I don't actually know who Adam Corolla is. You mentioned the dude multiple times. I don't know who he is. <laughs> in an alternate universe, Adam Corolla would be Joe Rogan. He was basically the prototype. He's very masculine, tough guy, right? but he doesn't quite have the I'll play along with itness. He's a very stubborn, the kind of comedian who thinks that you shouldn't be giving an inch as opposed to the credulous nature of a Rogan. And it's that sort of thing where he would run his mouth that would run off an audience. And he was only a dude comedian, as opposed to a Joe Rogan where you have a dumb comedian. Okay. Sure. Meanwhile, Jimmy Kimmel is, you know, one of the biggest names oh, yeah, in we late extend, night now. We talked who, extensively yeah. about Jimmy Kimmel on this podcast for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a very interesting interview, and it's definitely worth listening to if you like this song. Especially because it basically says, Hey, Jeff Rickley uh, comes from a lot of the same musical background as I do when he's quoted, Yeah, I love some of PJ Harvey's songs on the subjects. That's not a thing you would hear dropped in the 2000s often. Yeah, that's fair. So... Those interviews are worth looking into, even if I'm also trying not to drag us down the rabbit hole for every single one of them. Next up is Marches and Maneuvers. This is the one that's uh, grimy with notes of the cure. Pretend you can hear me swishing my audible wine glass. Uh, this is one of the songs that I have not a lot to say. It sounds a lot like other songs. Um, it has a really cool bridge and I really like the ending. The ending goes really fucking hard for like a millisecond and you're expecting it to go into a really fucking hard song. Like you're expecting it to be like in... You're expecting it to go into like an at-the-drive-in kind of really post-hardcore hard thing? It doesn't, though. It's just the ending, but it's a cool ending. It's a really cool ending. Now, this this is probably my... I hesitate to say bland track, but this is one of the ones that I least have any commentary on on the record. Good track? Again, I, I think it has very The Cure-esque delivery... But also, it's a loaded track about an event in lives that split two people apart because it is a very charged, on all sides, issue. Do you want to talk about the the thing? 
the, the quote from the thing from Jace? It is straight up. Uh, Jeff Rickley and an ex-girlfriend had to confront the issue of abortion when he got her pregnant. And they did go through with it. But it was the sort of thing that divided them where the whole thing split them into just this warring camp and eventually sent them down two different roads packing. You couldn't make the song nowadays. No, no. Don't make me just quote the bit. But what's the bit? You couldn't make Blazing Saddles these days, mostly because all of the actors are dead and it would be very hard to get a convincing performance out of them. I don't think you did this bit when uh, when we talked about the SR-71 song, which literally said that you couldn't make Blazing Saddle nowadays. That's because that was someone sincerely bringing up that incredibly stupid argument, and I felt it was worth grappling with then. Fair enough. Now I'll get into the shit post. Shit post, shit post, shit post. Adam, do you have anything to say about the songs? Because we sure don't. This song was very nothing for me. Like, it's not bad. It's just, uh, doesn't really do much to stand out from anything else in the album in any way that feels like it's really worth mentioning. No, that's fine. I it's, think it's fine. It's a fine Thursday song. It's not. I think Great. this is yeah. one of many tracks on this record that, depending on what your experiences have taken you past, will either be another Thursday song or will be the one that punches you conclusively in the gut over and over. I have a few of those later on the record. And for what it's worth, I give them credit. There's a lot of lines in this song which they reference again in... The video for War All the Time. Uh, a lot of lyrics from this are used as part of the crawl at the bottom of the screen in that one. Like, the landmines in our chests will all go off in time. And the final chunk of this song is just a description in brief of a relationship dissolving and all of the pain you put yourself through trying not to admit that it's over. One part loss, one part no sleep, one part the gunshot we heard, one part the screams mistaken for laughter, one part everything after, one part love, one part stepping out of the driving rain, one part parting ways in the cold apartment, don't look back, just keep running down the stairs. Do you hear the foot? It keeps going, and the whole thing, again, because of Rickley's vocals, is very... It's passionate in a way that makes it kind of sick to hear. This is, again, a song that I could hear a young Robert Smith singing. This could be an alternate cut from Disintegration in Places. And that is praise from me. That is one of my favorite albums of all time. Even though I think this is a Bland Thursday song, I do think that this is something that could be covered in a way that would tear into me just as much as other tracks on this record. Speaking of a constant refrain about uh, our podcast... Asleep in the Chapel and Religious Themes. Hello. 
Yes. Fun fact, the Italian word for chapel, cappella, uh, is also the euphemism for the head of a penis. Yes. <laughs> uh, I will say, okay. this is the point where the ads I was getting on this record were never more jarring versus the album itself. Did you get NFT ads? Did you get Martin Schrell no. ads? No, no. I had perky rooftop bitches telling me about a phone plan while this starts with a slow guitar into pounding chords. This is one of the songs where I would really want Joff, Joff to not scream all the time. He figures this out in the next couple of songs, where there are a couple of quieter songs where he plays very well with his voice and doesn't scream all the time. On this song, he does scream all the time. And I'm not sure if I'm really into the softer song, but that's screamed from, you know, from to bottom. <laughs> and the, the whole song. It's fine. It's good. I do like some of the production. I think this is one of the songs where the singing sort of like doesn't work for me. Uh, it's also like, again, a um, fate song in a way, sort of like... It's almost a prayer song, but it's like it's very nuanced, and it's like uh, about love and you know desperation and all the shit like that. It's well written, as always. Dude knows how to write a fucking song. This is my second favorite song on the album. I am not immune to religious imagery at all times. I'm not religious, but Halo imagery kind of fucks. Mm-hmm. I could agree with that. That's how you get things like Jacko. That's how you get things like Neon Genesis Evangelion. Exactly. Everyone knows that's the best anime, because the robots are Jesus or something. <laughs> uh, I can't. Nope. Nope. I can't take the bait. <laughs> do it. No. Do it, do no. It, do it. You have to realize I am an absolute sicko for that franchise to the point of watching seven different cuts of End of Evangelion to learn out differences in one scene as research for a show. No, I can't do it. Uh, I think it is a very interesting song, even if it's not one of my favorites on the record. It's using Hiroshima imagery while also making references to other bands, and it's not the next track, which is named for it. This song is brought to you by a falling bomb. And the breakdown near the end has some real My Chemical Romance delivery and the way the spoken word is done. Did we talk about the fact that uh, we probably talked to it in My Chemical Romance, but Jeff Rickley produced their first record? Yes. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So I, I could definitely see there being a little bit of back and forth, the two inspiring each other. I don't know if there's still that flow of exchange by the time of the record I'm citing, which, again, is the final Chemical Romance record in the 2010s. But otherwise... I love it. That is all. And then we go into the song brought to you by a falling bomb. Footsteps are getting louder Drowning out the sound of the rain As it knocks on the window Said I'm not answering the phone Let it ring Lately I've been feeling like A falling bomb The ground is getting closer 
That song is basically a joke. <laughs> because they were apparently they were like, yeah, they always they they won't always make us want to do like jingles for thing. They want us to make stuff for ads. And we thought, what if we were going to have to make an ad for a bomb? And this is the whole joke of the song. On the other hand, this is a really pretty song. <laughs> like this is really sort of like it sounds really pretty. And it's sad and dramatic, and it's a great break in the middle of the album. It does lose a bit by being basically a joke, but it's a very nice sounding break. It's on piano and voice. Jeff is not screaming, he's whispering. He is ASMRing to us. A good break in the middle of all the noise. It's like, yeah, that's nice. I'll fall asleep to this. It's another case of a song that hits incredibly differently in the modern era because sure it is a barely two minute ballad that is just piano in the background and i I do like the editing on this where the vocals swell over the piano which becomes oppressively louder until both of them just suddenly get very quiet at the end and drop but there's also the fact that you can joke about, yeah, they're gonna use they're gonna use our music in ads for bombs and war. And then you think about the fact that we now have Pride Month where Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, drone production are all talking about how we've got queers coding at the head of our war machine, and you better believe you're allowed to come over here and get some scalps for yourself, gays. It's like, oh, yeah, that's... This is the world we live in. <laughs> uh, I did not like it. It It is not my thing. I did not enjoy the uh, ASMRing, as you put it. It's just... Not for me. You don't like quiet, pretty piano ballads? I mean, I do, but not in the middle of an album like this. Let's talk about Steps Ascending. I have no notes from this song. This was fine, but it didn't catch my attention at all. This is a okay song. It's an okay Thursday song, which didn't really catch me in any way. Sybil, talk to us about Steps Ascending. It's interesting that it is a track that seems to be about nostalgia, but suddenly it's going on about all the time we wasted looking back instead of being dwell in the past for comfort. It's, God, what have we done with ourselves? Another thing that hits very hard uh, in current time, I guess. I mentioned a few times that we've have some lyrics, some imagery that 
repeats over and over on this album. This is where I really started picking up on the gunshot and the hole it makes being a thing that you'll hear on a lot of things. But this is a track about forever war and remember when we were just humans who did human things and now all of this blood that we're bringing out of people, that we're bringing out of each other, that we're dying and just running down the stairs in a torrent. But also, don't worry, our bodies can be buried and someday you'll get a nice blood red rose out of everything we did, everyone we killed, every bit of rot from our bodies. Very, very imagery heavy track. Uh, one of my favorites, but this is also the part where I instantly started to get real depressed thinking about my life at the time this album would have been out compared to the modern day and we'll get there. This does also make it one of the multiple tracks in the back half of this album that ends with a defiant cry, the final words being, I'm not giving up. A thing that I really, really love to see is roses as a symbol of horror. And so this song is definitely about sort of, you know, the the horrors and the terrors. So I really liked seeing the roses at the end. That makes me happy. Now let's go to my favorite song. Probably well, hold on. Okay. We do we do also have to point out Steps Ascending is actually a tribute to a specific dead person because part of why Jeff uh, has the imagery of wasted time, etc., and I was waiting to spring this at the end, is that this is about a guy he got in a fist fight with, stopped talking to, and then discovered they had been shot and killed in the street, so he was never able to make up with them. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Anyhow, instead of talking about sad things, let's talk about sad things with the title track of this record, World of Time. This is maybe my favorite song we've covered on this fucking podcast. This song is so good. It's, uh, it's, there's almost no screaming on it. It's more of a very serious, like, mid-tempo kind of, not, not art, rock necessarily, art rock necessarily, but, like, it's a very, like, quiet, serious rock song. And it's really good. It's, like, it's perfectly delivered. Unlike uh, Asleep in the Chapel, it's not shouted all of the way through. It's so good. It's like an understated number. The guitar does some subdued stuff and then it almost goes Mogway. Like a lot of this, the guitar in this song really sounds like Mogway, which is 
one of my favorite band ever. But yeah, it does almost this post-rock, like, thing in the guitar, like Mogwai thing in the guitar. Uh, Joff has a lot of control of his voice in this one. Again, it's not shouted all the way through, there's a lot of control, and there's a lot of, like, really good emotion. It's melancholic, it's sort of beautiful, it has some great emo backing vocals, which are not screamed. There's, a, there's like, a bunch of... Um, all the bands are singing backing vocals on it, which are not used anywhere else on the record, and really work. Uh, yeah, this song is so fucking good. <laughs> this is just like a really solid song with some great fucking imagery through the through the whole thing. Again, it, it fucking sounds great. It's um, it's a nostalgia song. It's like about their childhood in New New Jersey, New York, whatever. I don't know the difference. Uh, Jersey would have put you close enough that you don't get all the glamour, but you're definitely still wrapped up in the panic and paranoia directly after 9-11. Which, by the way, this is track 9 of 11 on the album, which seems pretty intentional. Mm. And yeah, it's about their life there, but it's very it's very dramatic. Like, everything that Thursday does is very dramatic. Um, it's good. Honestly, uh, maybe not my favorite track, but at least top 10 favorite tracks we ever covered on this podcast. This is just like a really good rock song. The video for this one is the only one that really does anything with the actual concept of a music video because it starts off as life just filmed under an oppressive orange filter that's kind of mimicking sunset. And then we start seeing the drone view from a camera over a map of New Jersey and we're into mock news networks with a lot of different titles and lyrics and references playing from the album as a crawl beneath and night vision lenses looking over children at the pool and the concept of war all the time. Some of the bits being like raising a flag on someone's roof with soldiers and locals expected to surrender shortly. It goes on and speaking of, the chant of on and on and on and on from the band is real good. It's a great flow. I'm not as strong on this one as Ellie. Uh, the next one is the one that just kicked me all up and down the gut. But this does this did remind me of a guy I went to high school with just showing up at my door one day when I was off of work because he had been kicked out of the army for psyche val reasons near the end of training and feeling like everything he had done was for nothing. Like the future he was going to fight for to defend America was just ripped away from him. And he had dropped out of high school to go do this. He came to me because as another dropout, he thought, yeah, I was going to have some words to say. How was it that I was able to keep going on, even though I didn't jump into a cause? And I didn't. I was working a shitty job at a gelateria, and he never appeared again. I don't know if he stayed alive after that. I suspect that he did not. Mm. So, yeah, war all the time hits a lot differently. Yeah, this one uh, hits for me, too. This is my third favorite song on the album. And while the other songs that I have, you know, really liked on this album were things that I would have liked when I was in high school, this is exactly the sort of songs that I would like to listen to during my nervous breakdown. And just like the, I can 
picture myself sitting at the picnic table looking out over the cliff while listening to this. It's... It's a good song. gonna talk about uh, M. Shepherd. Sybil, do you want to talk to us about what this song is about? Because I was reading this in Genius, and I think you can explain it better than me, as I wasn't aware of this thing at all, not being American. If you were not instantly aware the instant you heard that title, then M. Shepherd is a reference to Matthew Shepard, a young gay man who was brutally murdered and I forget if it was crucified in a cornfield and left to die by people at a bar for being gay in Laramie, Wyoming. I, I always remember it because the Laramie Project was a focus that came out of this. There was a trial. There was a lot. This is probably one of the things that first brought me to activism in this era, and it's real loaded for obvious reasons, even prior to being out as trans. There was a lot of queer in my life. I considered myself bisexual at this time, and it's only escalated from there, so I'll let y'all talk about the song before I make this a real downer that people skip ahead on. But that's, that's the bit we're paying tribute to. I don't have much to say about the song. It's good. It's about a really sad team, and it's treated well. I don't again. I don't think a lot of the songs really break the mold of what we've seen in Full Collapse. Um, there's another one, another song where it's like musically, there's nothing they do particularly different, and it's all about the lyrics, and it's all about you know what they're talking about and how it interacts with the emotion they express with the voice and the music, and it works. It's a song that works and does what it needs to do, which is being a fucking downer. <laughs> this is a good song. Um, it's so sad that I kind of flinch away from it, which, I mean, that sounds like a me problem. That's not That's not just you. I, I actually took a break to cry listening to this last night. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good song. It's very... Nothing sums up the feelings of a younger, angrier Sybil than the fact that this was a period of time that brought me to a lot of activism through the Laramie Project, through heading up the campus GSA gay straight alliance back then we only had gays or straights you didn't have a full queer spectrum i remember the actual discussion about what the hell you were going to do with that full acronym there was a lot 
And I took over because I was pissed off and I thought that being out on the edge of town where there was a more redneck strain of things, we actually had gang units come in on campus regularly and do sweeps and just be there if they heard that maybe some white supremacists were going to try and start shit with Mexican students or other things. So I thought, yeah, no, being out at the head of this means I'm going to get to just punch a fucking cracker in the face if he tries to start something for all the people who can't. And that never happened. I was an angrier person then, but I used that and I stood up for people who were too afraid to say anything. I talked shit. I did get hit. I went out of my way on a lot of things, and it makes me happy to know how far we have come on this, even if it's not a locked-in, even if it's not something we don't still have to fight for, but that you can still get married, that you don't have as much fear just talking about this, that there is proof that a majority of people are just fucking cool with you. 20 years out from when this happened, give or take. You can just be yourself, whatever that is. Even if it might not be with the people around you, there is somewhere for you. And that Matthew Shepard's death kicking off the Laramie Project and all this might have been one of the first major dominoes that led to that because three motherfuckers beat the shit out of a little gay boy. M. Shepard is another one of those songs that ends with a defiant cry with the final words being, but we're not going to run. Just ahead I see you winding up And you're dressing this A collar on the edge of fire Till these tight strides In watching time again I don't know which is Tomorrow I'll Be You. So Tomorrow I'll Be You is an interesting track because from the interviews they said that this was going to be the opening song, but they thought it was too upbeat for the rest of the record. <laughs> so they so they moved it to the back of the record as just a closer. It doesn't feel like a closer. This is this is not closer feel, so I get it. This is a track that has the lyric, We're too lost to lose hope, and this is the upbeat one. <laughs> so it has some great drums on it. The drums really go hard on this one. It's uh, very... I do like that it ends with a very hard-hitting song. This is one of the heaviest songs on the record. It just sounds good. The screamed bit at the... I don't know if it's the end, but near the end. It's like really fucking good. What are the lyrics of the scream bit? That's like a bit where it screamed and it's great. 
Ah, you can find them. Uh, but yeah, there's some scream bit near the end, which is really good. There's a lot of screaming, a lot of energy, and especially after the last downer of a song, this is a good way to close it. It's about the singer says, uh, theming wise, it also connects. Like the singer says that there was a previous song, which I actually haven't listened on the, um, you know, terminating our contract TP, that it was about, um, quote unquote, like, the moment when you have to change who you are because who you are you can't you can't be for any reason who you truly are in a certain situation and this is a song about finding back who you are going back to who you actually are which is like oh goody that's great <laughs> that fucking trans feel all over um in a in a in a happier way than the you know the homophobia song that's good I really like the lyrics. I think it's like a really cool theme that it's it's very unique. Like I I, I have I don't really know of another song that's like about shit like this. It probably would have worked better as an opener because it's very it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very energetic, but it works as a closer. As a let's not be that miserable. Let's be a bit miserable, but not that miserable by the time this album ends. It's an interesting one. Because, yeah, not knowing Jet Black New Year, the song that this started as a final chunk of, I can't comment on it as a counterpart to that. But also, I think it's interesting that you have a reading of a trans song because the actual line in the song is, on New Year's Day, we change back to ourselves in the fire, like you've burned away everything that was different about yourself. It's a very interesting read. We are cured. We are cured. Shall shatter the lens. Shallow the shards. We are cured. We are cured. And if you want to look at that in a darker light, you could take that as oh no, you you got rid of all the queer about you and you're you're cured. You you had conversion therapy. But that's a whole different darker take on this and probably just, you know, where I'm coming from after that last song. The song definitely did read a bit trans for me but really with especially with the lyrics this is a song that i would have hated when i was in high school but it definitely very directly speaks to mental illness to me and particularly the um we are cured, shatter the lens, we are cured, choke on her words, caught in your throat. Like, I can't articulate how and why that speaks to me at the moment, but it's definitely very mentally ill trans person. It's not the trans that you need to cure. You know, it it's definitely a track that I think the ultimate joke of it is finding it to be the uplifting one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is not. It's re- relatively uplifting, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, "Is the happier cure song?" 
Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Untitled at the end of Disintegration, which is a little more upbeat, but then you listen to any of the lyrics. It's like, it's the saddest <laughs> They Might Be Giant song. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen some They Might Be Giant slander on my Twitter recently, and I do not roll with that. They Might Be Giants are treasures, and they're lovely. I don't know, two white guys named John, how influential can they really be? They're fun. You're big fun music. <laughs> let 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 people I'm have teasing. fun. <laughs> no fun allowed. I'm sorry. Are you? Their music is terrible. Are you pulling an unironic "let people enjoy themselves" on me? Let people enjoy things, Sable. <laughs> You're not allowed to criticize things. It's wrong. I can start doing the nostalgia critic voice again. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's also another version of this album that has a bonus track, and it's not even in English? Oh god, no, stop. So it's a bonus track for the Japanese version, which is in Icelandic, because it's a Sigurus cover. I do love Icelandic music. Sigurus are great! You should get into Sigurus, Adam. I think you'd like them. They are a homework band, like they are a, a very a band that I listened to a lot when I was in my late teens, when I was like 16, 17. I got really into Sigurus, especially the open bracket, close bracket record, which is excellent. Um, I even went to see John C. Live, which is the singer who had his own solo project, and it was really good. One of the three live shows I ever went to watch. I don't do live shows a lot because they trigger my social anxiety. Everything triggers your social anxiety. Yes, but don't make fun of it because it's actually distressing. I know. I'm sorry. But the Jonesy concert was good because it it was a sit-down concert, like a serious person concert, where you just sit down and enjoy the music. It was really nice. I think this is a fascinating track that's very cathartic with a lot of escalation over the length of it, but it's basically just a straight-up cover of the original work that doesn't do much other than cut out the initial two minutes of intro. And, you know, you can be Icelandic without having to be inscrutable. Look at Bjork. She sings in English. Please don't. Don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Same song, different chorus. Final thoughts on the album. Final thoughts on the album. Um, much like the first Thursday record we covered. Very good, in my top ten of things we've covered for the show, extremely in my lane, extremely hit me like a truck. High, high praise. Love it, bought it, glad to have it. Anna? Finally, some good fucking food. <laughs> you, you missed all of the good episodes, Vendetta Red was also very good, and you weren't there. You keep missing the good album. I wasn't. You weren't I do. here for the first Thursday record, which was great. Um, I really like this, but I think it's not as focused. It's a bit less... Um, I think one of the good things about Full Collapse that it felt incredibly smart for the kind of music that we were listening at the time. 
Um, this is a bit less. There's less like literary references. They tuned it down, which doesn't mean it's a dumb record. Like again, they touch on heavy topics and they touch on them very well. But it does feel like they tried to go a bit more universal with what they talk about. They tried to be a bit more relatable. Um, uh, I could take it or leave it. I think Full Collapse was very unique. This feels less unique, but extremely well executed. Full Collapse for me was a 4 out of 5. This would almost be a 3.5 out of 5, but um, the title track is on it. And the title track just to me just gives it a whole half a point and makes it also a 4. Uh, this is a really good record. It's an excellent record. There are more weak tracks in this one, or at least not as standout tracks in this one that there were in Full Collapse. If you're gonna listen to a Thursday record, listen to Full Collapse, I'm gonna say, but if after you listen to Full Collapse you want more Thursday, this is also excellent. I'd put both of them as 5 out of 5, because again, the worst thing I had to say about this album was I didn't gel with this song having not had an abortion. I really, really... So next week, uh, it's a Billy Talent. I really hope it's more cheerful than this. I love this. But, you know, you know, I hope they have some songs about farts. <laughs> I mean, considering the uh, whoopee cushion incident from this band. Uh, yeah, it must be cool to like, I want to have a Thursday whoopee cushion after having listened to this record. I want to own a Thursday whoopee cushion. It's just one of those things where I think, why did they pick Thursday as the band to do that for? Like, there's got to be better fits for that. Maybe instead of a fart noise, like, when you sit on the Thursday whoopee cushion, it's like, the universe is uncaring and you will die alone. And that's what, what the sound that it makes when you sit on it. Jeez. For what it's worth, I am unsure if they actually released because I'm looking for photos and I can't. I think find they it. just produced it without telling them, and they were like, "Fuck no, we're not doing this." But the fact that they produced it means that they exist in the wild. <laughs> Someone has a giant box of thirsty whoopee cushion, and if if you if you are that person, if you are in that warehouse where the Thursday whoopee cushions are stored, please send them to me. I want them. I need them in my life. There was a chance we'd make it through this. It's safe to say now that we missed it. And I will never lose hope. And I haven't lost hope. I'm just realistic. I will go down punching, but I will go down. And my corner man won't bring me back around. Bleed out. Gonna bleed out. The blood is pooling underneath. So this was an episode. You can as always find us on getoutofthistown.com. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, where all our lovely things are. Please write us. Please write. Um, please write a uh, review. Review. Um. And uh, and this is it. My brain is tired. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you have anything to plug, Sibyl? You can find my writing and other works of mine at hellscaper.com. Do you have anything to plug, Adam? Not yet. And you can as always find me on Twitter at ACCTheMoon. And we do not have a Patreon, but if you want to support us, you can listen to our next mashup song. Wage wars all the time, get rich, die handsome. A Thursday Mountain Goats mashup. No, coming up with jokes is hard. Leave me alone. The new Mountain Goats record is really good. <laughs> um, goodbye. 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 See Goodbye. Ya. Goodbye. 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 Bye. 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 Bye.